All right, so we are uh, lesson number 49, the book of Romans, grace and peace to you. And uh, those are strong words for our, t our time right now, because uh, as I said last week, we, uh, we need God's grace and we certainly need his peace. But it's not a kind of peace that just settles everything. The only true peace that comes from God comes first of all within. And it has to start within in order for us to fully experience the peace of God. And we can have peace when the rest of the world is full of nothing but turmoil. And we can be at peace and we can find our peace in him. So as we uh, move into chapter 8, this will be uh, our third lesson in chapter 8. And so we're uh, going to start in verse 5 tonight. And we're talking about the fact that this, this chapter, Romans chapter 8, becomes, uh, in a sense, the solution that Paul's been talking about from the beginning. And uh, from chapter 1 and on, he's been wanting to present uh, this, this gospel and the power of God to not just bring forth salvation in us, but to live righteousness through us. The scripture says the just shall live by faith. And so the, the righteous are to live their faith, not just have it. It's not just to get saved so we can go to heaven someday. It's that we can live in this earth in a way that glorifies God, that we are living out the righteousness that God has placed within us. You were made righteous, when you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. But are we living it? Are we showing it? Are we talking it? Uh, are we acting it within our families, within our community, within our church? And certainly, are we living it within the world? And the only way to do that is by the power of the Spirit. And Paul led up to a lot of things, uh, but especially in chapters 6 and 7, he was pointing out the fact that we cannot live righteousness in this world or sanctified. We can't live a sanctified life by the law. We can't because all the law will do is frustrate us. All the law does is points to our failure because you can't live by the law. Even when you're saved, you can't live by the law. And what it does is it puts you back into condemnation and it's puts you back into context with your flesh. Because if you're looking at the law, what are you looking at? Your flesh. Your inability to do it. And so it's your flesh just keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. And so when we're talking about, here in chapter 8, when we're talking about the flesh, Paul's not just talking about people living in adultery. He's not talking about people, you know, with bitterness and hatred and those things. He's talking almost specifically about believers trying to live by the law, trying to find the way to bring righteousness in their life or sanctification by looking at the law. And you can't do it because all it does is brings you to death. Now, you won't die, but you, you may as well wish you had because if you're trying to live by the law, you'll be so frustrated that you can't do it. And so you become ineffective. And this is where Paul wants to bring 
the Romans too. He wants them to understand that all this stuff that they're doing with the law, whatever was going on in Rome, and we just get a little bit of glimpse of it, and we try to read into what is going on in, in the city and within the church, but there must have been this almost stranglehold of legalism. And, but the Jewish people had come to know Jesus Christ, and so they had their law. Now they got Jesus. The law and Jesus, hey, two things is, is great, yeah? So let's just put them both together, kind of like an Oreo cookie, but it doesn't work because they don't have the creamy filling on the middle. So <laughs> it, it, it's just not working, and, and all it's doing is bringing condemnation. But God has given something else, and it came when you got saved, but a lot of believers just don't know it. A lot of believers know, yeah, when I got saved, I got the Holy Spirit. Yep, said so. I got it. So what's he doing for you? I don't know. He's there. He's the Holy Spirit. He's, he's invisible. He moves and don't see him. And there's a great growing volume of teachers who are saying that, uh, who are so adamantly anti-Pentecostal, that they're saying that uh, the Spirit does not speak to people anymore. Spirit doesn't talk to us. If someone says the Spirit told them something or that God spoke to them, then they need to be uh, institutionalized. Um, because God is done talking to us. He gave us the Bible. That's pretty interesting because all the men that wrote the Bible heard from God. I was like, I don't know, maybe. So if it was okay for them, why is it not okay for us? Anyway, but there's a whole bunch of things, and we can get into some of those as we'll go a little bit further in Romans. But this, um, this section Paul has come to now, there is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because we're not living by the law. I've stopped looking at the law, so I'm not condemned anymore. Even as a believer. Now, I know we read into that, you know, that all of my former life, there's no condemnation for my former life. But that's really not the point that Paul is making. The point he's making is there's no condemnation in your present life. Because you're not living by the law. But if I was, what? I'd be condemned. <laughs> because I'd just be doing what I cannot do. And that was Chapter 7, the frustration. But what's happened? The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. I don't have to live by that law of sin and death. I live by a new law, spirit of life that's on the inside of me. It's a spirit of what? Life. Now, I put together uh, there in your notes, we're going to read verses 5 through uh uh, 11 actually is where I'm going to read but um, Paul has almost almost ignored the Holy Spirit not ignored him but not brought it up for seven chapters I think bef before this the Holy Spirit's have mentioned two times maybe three and it's just almost non-existent so for all you know 
the person, the Godhead is just two parts, the Father and Jesus, because that's all he's been talking about. But then look at these pages, these verses there on the top of your page. From verse 5 through 11, that's all I've got there. Verse 5 through 11, five times the flesh is mentioned. Look at all of the times the spirit is mentioned. Ten times. Ten times in what? Six verses? And Paul has, has made up for all of the not mentioning the Holy Spirit in the former chapter. Because that wasn't the issue. But now that he's talking about the solution, what has God done so that we can live to his glory? He gave us the Holy Spirit. There it is. It's not just that he saved us, because you can be saved to try to live by the law and nothing but frustration. And you're not going to live to God's glory. If anybody gets glory out of living by the law, it's who? You do. <laughs> I did this. I did that. Mark all my little check boxes. No, because of living by the law, you're the one that gets the glory. But this is the way that God has given the Holy Spirit. And so that's really the subject of what we're going to be looking at the next several lessons is how the Holy Spirit works through us to bring glory to God through our life. And so let's begin reading in verse 5 there on your page. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh. Boy, there's a statement every believer needs to read. You are not in the flesh. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Wow. So this is just, you know, one of these classic, powerful passages by the Apostle Paul. And there's only one thing that the believer who has died with Christ, have been buried in death with him, and is risen in Christ Jesus, has to do to live to God's glory. And that is to live, live by the Spirit. To follow the Spirit. The key to the freedom that we have is the Holy Spirit living in us. Yet, as I've said before, how little 
is that taught in the churches around the world? They teach a lot of things, and I'm not saying we shouldn't teach a lot of those things. Yeah, we need to teach on Jesus. We need to teach on, on the Father. We need to teach on God's love. We need to teach on um, what sin is. We need to teach on living for God. We need to teach on family. But please, don't ignore teaching on the Holy Spirit. Because people don't know what it is that they've gotten. And so we need this understanding of the Holy Spirit that is within us. The law, as I point down in these points, the law cannot help us for it's limited by the flesh. It's limited to the flesh. The law could not save. So what did we read last week in verse 4? That God has removed that barrier for us. God has done for us what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And so, why did God remove the law? Because of the flesh. Because the flesh can't live by it. So if we're trying to live by the law, then all we're going to be doing is looking at our flesh. Looking at our flesh and our inability to do it or bragging about our ability to perform. But the flesh only brings condemnation. The new man, that's the recreated person that you are on the inside, that new creation has been created to be in union with God through the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's how you got to be in union. The very first thing the Holy Spirit does for the believer is to bring them into union with God. You are made one with God through the Holy Spirit. He, he will baptize you into Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, verse 17, 11, 12. It's in there. <laughs> Let's look it up. It's in there. Um, but he, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. It is, it is through the work of the Holy Spirit that we are even in Christ. We're, we're joined to God. We're made one. We're recreated in God's image and His likeness by the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of every believer. But do we know that? Do we really understand what God has done? And yeah, I'm looking at, you know, preaching to the choir, so to speak. Yeah, most of you have studied that, heard this, learned this for years in your life, and so this is not new material. But there are many people who will be listening, who will be reading the book of Romans, who don't know that at all. And to them, this whole passage is, is kind of confusion. And, and because they read this, and because they're not drawing from the help of the Holy Spirit... They can read this, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. How many of us can even say, you know, Paul's double speak, going back and forth over and over on things, can get a little bit confusing. It's like, who the, where's he? The mind that's set on the Spirit, the, the Spirit, but lived by the Spirit, the, those who set their heart on the, what, what all are we talking about? Well, we're going to break this down for you. So, the point being, the believer has the Spirit. But do you know what you have? So the first thing the Holy Spirit's going to teach you is about you. About who you are. About what God has done for you. And the Holy Spirit wants to do that for every believer. 
because that helps bring security. How many of you, after you got saved, wondered for years, not wandered, but wondered for years about your salvation? Question. It's like, uh, do I have it? Am I there? Am I saved? I believed in Jesus. Is that all I need to do? What if I didn't have a knock-me-off-my-donkey experience? You know, what? Am, I, am I saved? If I, didn't, if I didn't change, am I saved? If I still desire to do things I did before I got saved, am I saved? And, it, and, and all these, we wondered. And not only did we wonder, but then we also wondered. <laughs> so we wondered and because we didn't know that it was the Spirit that was there to help us. No one was teaching us. But the Spirit's inside, and he wants to. So what Paul wants to do is help these believers know this. And, and here's, here's the point. You're not going to get any of this from the law. Because you can search the Old Testament and you will find very little. I'm not saying nothing, but you will find very little about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Except, you know, that he's going to come and he's going to do some things. And there's some mentions of the, of the work of the Holy Spirit, especially as it refers to the Spirit of what he's going to do in the latter days, especially in the time of the millennium. But, wow, trying to, trying to find how the Holy Spirit is going to help us live for God in the Old Testament is very difficult. So Paul has been inspired by God to put these lessons down for us. And so the present life that we have is to be lived out by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The only way we can reach sanctification, the only way we can live a life that is separate unto God, is by drawing on the help of the Holy Spirit. You can't, you can't turn the Scripture into the law and try to do every little thing that the that the word says number one you don't know enough of it number two you won't get there that way because it's not by taking something from the outside and impressing it into your life it's by drawing something from the inside and bringing it to the outside that's what it means to be transformed Right? So transform is metamorphuo. We bring what's inside to the outside. And so that's the way God wants to change us and therefore produce, bring forth sanctification in our life. Too often when people teach sanctification, it's you have to stop this, you have to start doing this, you have to separate yourself. You, and sanctification becomes you. Instead of sanctification being a grace of God that sets us in a way that we can live to God's glory and live for him. So Romans 8, 4, we went back and looked at that last week, but again, bottom of your page, Romans 8, 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law, God did for us what the law could not do. What did he do? He condemned sin in the flesh, right? He put it upon his son. And so verse 4 then, Romans 8 says, Why did God do that? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The righteous requirement of the law could not be fulfilled in us by living from the outside. 
That's what Moses tried. That's what everybody in the Old Testament tried. You can't get it by living from the outside. So God did for us what the law could not do. Condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And why did God take that out of the way for us in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us? But Paul didn't put a period there. The righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us. What? Who walk not according to the flesh, which follows the law, but according to what? The Spirit. Who walk according to the Spirit. In other words, the only way for us to live out this righteous requirements of the law that God has placed on the inside is by the help of the Holy Spirit by drawing from what he has brought to us. Now, we talked about this last week, but I want to cover it again. Down to the bottom of your page there. The righteous requirement of the law. That's not requiring you go back and, and memorize all the law of the Old Testament. The righteous requirements of the law are going to be fulfilled in you if you what? Live according to the Spirit you will fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Notice it doesn't say he takes the righteous requirements out of the way. God did not remove the righteous requirements of the law. Murder is still sin. But if you live according to the Spirit, you won't commit murder. You won't steal. You won't lie. You won't commit adultery. You'll honor God with your life, right? You won't covet after other things. So if you're following the righteous requirements of the law, which are on the inside of you, you will fulfill those things. How? By the Spirit. So we looked at these verses from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. Basically, it says the same thing. I boiled it down to the, to the one phrase that comes out of there. I will put my law within them, and I will write it upon their hearts. God said that in the Old Testament. Now, that for, for the Jews who don't receive Christ now, that will take place in the millennium. He is going to write the law in their hearts. And during the time of the millennium, they will have the law written in their hearts. And they're going to do everything that God has desired. And so God's going to take out... A heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, not flesh that is sinful, flesh being malleable. All right. But then Paul borrows this same passage. And in the book of Hebrews, where he's talking about uh, the sacrifices and the temple and all of the things that God has done, Paul brings in this verse that all the things in the Old Testament are just a pattern. They're just a shadow because ashes of a heifer and blood and water and those things could not remove sin. But God was going to remove sin. And then what was he going to do? He was going to put life on the inside of the believers. And here's what he says, for this is the covenant. I'm going to take that old covenant out of the way. Why? Because it wasn't working. Not because it's God's fault. He said, oh, man, I made a mistake. My covenant's not working. i got to come up with something new. No, it wasn't God's mistake. It wasn't working because why? Because we wouldn't keep it. And so this covenant was taken out of the way. 
is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. Can I just say God has done that to you? His laws, his righteous were not, not the 613 commandments of the Old Testament, right? It's not those laws. It's the, the law of God that was behind those laws. That these things are right and these things are wrong. That this is what honors God and this is what dishonors God. And God has written that in their minds and on their hearts. That is in your want to, your heart, and in your knowledge how to do it, that's your mind. And God has written those things in. And where are they? They're in us. They're in every one of you. And that's what Paul means when he talks about we have the mind of Christ. That's what he means in Romans 12 too, and he says renewing the mind. So when we renew our mind to what the word says, it's what James was talking about. He talks about looking into a mirror and seeing who we are and living by who we are. It's, this is what God has been talking about when he tells us that God has made us new, recreated. So then don't let these things be in your life. Clothe yourself from within. So put on the new man, created in righteousness and true holiness. Put off the old man. Why? Because God has put this in you. God's holy purposes, his desires, all the things that God has planned for mankind to be in order to glorify him has been written in your minds and in your hearts by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And listen to what he says. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying no, or better translated, learn the way of the Lord. So you're not going to need someone to come to you and say, hey, learn the way of the Lord. You know why? I already know it. You won't be teaching one another because you'll all know them. For they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. God is going to do all of that for us. And he did through Jesus Christ. And you have the mind of Christ. Do you know it? Are you drawing from that? And then the question, and Jan's will ask me this as soon as I get to the car if I don't say this. And how do I draw from that? Wouldn't you? You were going to ask me that when I got to the car. How do I draw from that? I know you asked me the other day, but you're going to ask me again if I don't bring it up. How do I, how do I draw that up? By the Holy Spirit whom God has placed within me. Now next... Next session, not next week, because we won't have class next week, but next session, we're going to talk more about this helper, the Holy Spirit. 
Because before we move on into some of the things in Romans, we've got to understand who this one is that's on the inside of us, the helper. But it is the Holy Spirit who is this inner witness to God's laws and his ways. So God wants us to live a life that's, that, that honors him, a life that is sanctified. Now, this is, this is actually the class that's been given, assigned to me to teach for the uh, online university uh, that I'll be teaching in. Um, and I'll be teaching this lesson on sanctification. So they've given me the subject, and the director that gave it to me said, we decided that you're the one that should teach this. What I read into that is we decided we didn't want to teach this. <laughs> so, so we decided you're the one that should teach this. And you know what? I'm honored. Because sanctification doesn't come by the law. Sanctification comes by grace. The grace of God has appeared unto all men. Anybody know the next word? Teaching. See, the grace of God didn't just save you. But the grace of God has appeared to all men teaching. Teaching us to forsake ungodliness. Wow. Did you know the grace of God teaches you to forsake ungodliness? No, the law teaches us that. No, 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 no. Grace teaches it. Because grace fulfills what the law could not do. Because you're flesh. But grace, God has done in us what we couldn't. Okay, I'm getting off. <laughs> Top of your next page. So here's the contrast as we start down through. Now what we're going to be doing is we're going down, starting in verse 5. Just breaking down these verses and making some comments as we go, all right? So, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. So, let's talk about a couple of those words. And these words come up over and over through the passage. So, the first word I want to talk about is the word according to. Those who live according to. The Greek word is kata, K-A-T-A. And it means under the influence, to be under the influence of something. Now, I know most of us have experience in under the influence, but that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the under the influence means that somebody else or something else is in control. Something else, I'm under the influence, something else is affecting me. Now, it's not going to make me do something, but the pressure, the drive, the desire, the boundaries are taken out of the way. So, according to or under the influence of the flesh. Now, what do we mean by the flesh? Well, the flesh can be a reference to the sinful things that we do, right? the lust of the flesh. But really the flesh he's talking about here is that old creation that you were that lived according to the dominion of the devil under the influence of the world. 
that old creation, the flesh. The thing is, as we've said, chapter 5, chapter 6, God didn't remove the flesh. He just removed the power that it has to control you. The flesh is still there. And so the flesh is that part of man that is within and also in touch with the natural world around us. So passions, desires, thoughts, feelings, sensations, all those kinds of things, actions, attitudes, all of that, the flesh draws on all of that and leads us to things that we don't want to do. That was Paul's thing. The problem with Paul is he was trying to use the law to control it, and he couldn't. And every one of us, I hope, could say, yeah, you're right, <laughs> the law can't. The more I told myself don't do it, the more I just found myself doing it. It's like, make yourself go to sleep. Just try it. Try it. You can't, you, you'll never get there. Because the longer you try to make yourself sleep, the less you sleep. Because you got to stay awake to do what? Make yourself sleep. So, so the law is... is it does the same thing with the flesh. The law can't help it. And so those who live according to the flesh. So don't just see in here sinful things. See in here the power, the part of you that wants to control you. But God has removed the power from it. But it's still there. But if you live according to or under the influence of the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. So the more I don't want to do, the more I do. Paul said, the more I didn't want to covet, the more what? I had all kinds of coveting. So, why? Because, notice that next phrase. Who live under the influence of the flesh, set their minds on. The phrase set their mind on means to be intensely interested in something. Or occupying your thoughts and desires. So if you live under the influence of the flesh, then the things of the flesh occupy your thoughts and desires. Why? Because that's what you're thinking about. And you keep giving yourself over to it, and you're trying not to do it, but you just keep doing it. Now, there's three statements that I'm making about those who live according to the flesh. Number one would be non-believers. But non-believers don't have a choice. There's nothing they can do about it. Non-believers cannot help themselves. They will live according to the flesh. Why? Because their minds are fully occupied by the things of the flesh. All right? So the non-believer is there. But there's two other categories of people who can fall into this category of those who live according to the flesh. The second category is believers who have given control to the old nature even though they've been saved. They've been redeemed, and God recreated in them the image and likeness of God. So God has saved them, but they're not living according to what's on the inside. They're living according to the old nature. And every one of us know believers who live that way. They're called what? Carnal. Now, here's a, this is something that a lot of preachers have a hard time with acknowledging that Christians can be carnal. 
Okay, number one, kind of sarcastic response, get over it, because Paul thought the same thing. He said to the believers, you are yet carnal. They're believers. You ought to be living by the Spirit. I ought to be able to talk to you about the Spirit, but I can't because you're still carnal. So he's talking to believers. So for people who say, well, believers can't be carnal, you're wrong. Paul believed that, and therefore I think I should do that too. So believers can be living according to the flesh. The problem is they just don't know that they don't have to. Some of them have never been informed that they don't have to live that way anymore. They got saved, but they don't know what to do with that old desires. So they keep going back to them. But they're the ones who are giving themselves over to that. That's Romans chapter 6. Serving sin instead of serving righteousness, right? So don't commit yourself as a slave to sin. He's talking to believers. So that's a second category of those who live according to the flesh. But there's a third category, and that is believers who try to live by the law. If you as a believer are trying to live your life by the law, then your concentration is continually upon the flesh. Those who live according to the flesh, believers who are trying to live by the law, only think about the law. And all they think about the law drives them to their flesh. And they go back and back in a circle, over and over. I can't do it. I try to do it. I'm not going to be able to do it. I want to do it. I can't do it. I keep going back over, and they're consistently. And these are believers who are trying to live by the law. And actually, in Paul's category, they're living by the flesh. All right. So that's the first part of verse 5. second part says, but those who live according to the Spirit, say, yea, us. Yes, yes, yeah, all of us. Yeah. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. See, same phrasing. So what do these people do? They are living under the influence of the Spirit. Where is the Spirit? Who's out there floating around somewhere? Oh, Holy Spirit, come and land on me like a dove. You know, I'm trying to bring the Holy Spirit down. I need to find a beam of light coming from heaven. You know, so I can get under that and the Spirit come down on me. No, you've got the Spirit. But there is a large percentage of Christians who have very little understanding of the fact that the Holy Spirit even is in them. They still think of the Holy Spirit being out there. But the Holy Spirit being something that's ethereal. You can't, you can't touch it. It's, it's, he's there, but you'll never know it. How many of you know you have the Spirit? How many of you draw from the help of the Holy Spirit? Yes. All right, so you can do this. All right, again, I'm preaching to the choir, but there's a lot of believers who have very little understanding of this because they've never been told. And the Spirit of the inside is screaming at them, I can help you, I can help you, I can help you. Listen, listen, follow me. Let me teach you. Sometimes 
He finally gets old of them. So though that category, those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What we are thinking about, what is occupying our mind, is how to live by the Spirit. He's in me. How do I live according to what he's telling me to do? I want to occupy my mind with fulfilling the things that, that bring glory and honor to God. I want to do the things that the Spirit, whose first name is what? Holy. No, it's not his first name. I knew you'd say that. Sorry, trapped you. It's not his first name. Just like Christ is not Jesus' second name, you know. So um, he is the Spirit who is holy. He's altogether different. And if he's altogether different, then what kind of lifestyle is he calling you to? Altogether different. And so this is the way that God wants me to live. And so we set our minds. My mind is occupied by living a life that is different than the way the world is living. Point number one, the only people that can live by this are who? Believers. Believers. There's, an unbeliever cannot live this way. Unbelievers can't live by the Spirit. They need to be born again. And these believers, the more their minds are renewed, Romans 12, 2, the more our minds is renewed, the more we will be transformed. In other words, the more I learn to think, learn to understand, I grasp the things that God desires and the things that please Him, the more I renew my mind to those things, the more I am changed. I'm transformed. I bring the life that's on the inside of me to the outside. The more we renew our mind, the more we're transformed. And this is a lifetime process. Paul says at the beginning of that, he says, stop being conformed to the image of the world. The word conformed is, is kind of the opposite of transformed. It means to, to uh, camouflage or masquerade as something that you are not. So stop being conformed. To the image. Stop masquerading as something that you're not. Stop dressing up like the world. It's like putting on the gorilla costume doesn't make you a gorilla. You can wear your Spider-Man suit all you want to, but you are not Spider-Man. All right? Or girl. Because it's just, you just pressed yourself into that mold. And if I had to put on Superman outfit, I would have to press myself into a mold. <laughs> See, it doesn't make... Uh, 2x. Anyway, um, but we we want to be transformed. Conformed, I'm making myself look like something else. Transformed, I'm changing who I am outwardly into what I really am inwardly. Caterpillars don't look like butterflies, but they are. Tadpoles don't look like frogs, but they are. Christians don't always look like Christians, but they are, all right? And then the thing is, we must become slaves of righteousness. Going back to Romans chapter 6, we want to offer ourselves 
as a slave of righteousness. That's what it means to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, 4, right? So verse 5 is the premise. Verse 6 is the result. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Now for the unbeliever, to keep your mind on the flesh, to pursue the way of the flesh your entire life is not just physical death, it is what? Eternal death. It is an ultimate end of death where there is ultimate separation from God. Unbelievers live according to the flesh, but they will die because it leads to death. But there's also death for believers that live according to the flesh. Believers who have not learned how to draw from the help of the Holy Spirit to transform their lives, who keep giving themselves over to the sins of their past, who give themselves over to the ways of the world because they don't understand how to get out of this, there will be a death somehow, a death of something. Give yourself over to sexual perversions and those things, it will destroy your marriage, it will destroy your life, it will destroy your business, it will destroy everything that you have because you can't do that. Give yourself over to, to lust and desire for things and stuff, you will literally consume yourself on the world. Believers can do that because we all know some believers that have and they've not gotten to the place where they're free and and it brings not only destruction to their life but to their family and their families suffer and so the body of christ suffers so there's as mom spray you say there's a death somewhere some form of death will be out there separating what is supposed to be good and beneficial from what is real, realized, there'll be separation. But the opposite, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now, it's not just that it produces life and peace. And I looked at this in so many different translations, and no one really tries to make it say that. The spirit, it is life and peace. It just is it is life and peace. To follow, to set your mind on, to be occupied with the things is life itself. There's a life that you find. It's not that it's just producing that. It just is. And there's a peace that just exists. It's not the peace that there's no trouble because I got plenty of trouble. But do I have peace? I can have peace in the midst of a storm. I can have peace because I am following after the things of the Spirit. That doesn't mean everything goes well for me. It doesn't mean everything goes perfectly. I can have all kinds of issues going on in my life. But you know what? I got life. And I have peace. So to give yourself over, to set your mind, to occupy your mind with the things of the Spirit is life itself. It's like it just, it encompasses. The unbeliever has no understanding of that. But the fruit of a spirit-led life is produced in so many ways and dimensions you can't explain it. 
Try to explain what God has done in your life to an unbeliever. Try to explain peace with God to an unbeliever. They can't get it. They just can't grasp it. You know and understand things that you can't even communicate. Because it just is. How do you know God's with you? I just know it. I just know it. How do you know he'll never leave you? Well, number one, he said he wouldn't. But number two, by experience, he never has. I may have turned my mind away from him a few times, but you know what? Turn back, he's right there. He's right there. And when my mind's turned away, he's pursuing me. In one way, I, I want to say this, but in one way, God's voice should never be silent in your life. It's like he's always, always talking, always speaking. And how do I explain that? How, how do you explain that to people? You need Jesus. After you get Jesus, we'll talk some more. All right. Verse 7. And here's why. Here's why these things are true. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. And I don't care whether they're talking about an unbeliever or a believer who's desiring to live according to the world. His mind is hostile to God. For he does not submit to God's law. Doesn't say the law. God's law. God's predetermined righteous ways of living. The righteous things God has done, I'm not submitted to that. You may be a believer who's living according to the flesh and you are hostile to God. But here's, here's a clue. I love this. He's not hostile to you. Because you can turn away from him, but he doesn't turn away. He stays there. And God is not hostile toward us. Why? Because through Jesus Christ, God has removed the hostility. That's what reconciliation means. God is no longer angry with me. That has been taken out of the way. Hostility is gone. But here's another clue. What does the scripture tell us about God and the world? That God has reconciled the world to himself. How? Through Jesus Christ. God says, hey, I took it all out of the way. But notice what this verse says. This verse says that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile. It doesn't say God is hostile to him. It says your mind is hostile to God. Go to someone, unbeliever, believer, who's totally occupied with the things of this world, and tell them, God's not angry with you. God's not angry with you, but you're angry with him. You try to talk to somebody about returning to the Lord or coming to the Lord, how many have had people respond in anger? I mean, violently. Jan went to a, a man in a restaurant one time to pray for him. I mean, the man, I thought he was going to physically assault her. I mean, he was so angry that she even offered to pray for him. 
We run into this all the time. Why? Because their mind is hostile to God. Because they cannot submit to God's law. And a believer who is occupied with the flesh and with the law, a believer who is totally caught up in that, you know, have you ever talked to believers who are angry? I mean, just angry at almost everything. And you know what? If you start investigating their life, you'll find that they follow after a very legalistic code. And those who follow after a legalistic code are angry about everything. Now, verse 8, he just makes a blunt statement. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I don't care what we're talking about unbelievers or believers. If you are a believer who's following after the flesh, you cannot please God that way. You need to do what? Repent. Return. First John chapter 1. You can't live that way. And you can try to say, you know, God's, God's okay with this. No, God's not okay with it. He's not okay with it. You can't walk in darkness and say you're walking in the light. You can't do that. Why? Because the light has no fellowship with the darkness. So, if you're walking in darkness, get out of the darkness and go to the light. It's that easy. But a lot of times you try to talk to people about that and they get angry. Because they cannot see themselves following this way. I'm going to have to quit here. I'm not going to get through verse 10. So I'm just going to finish in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh. Praise God. <laughs> but in the Spirit. Paul is, Paul is confident as he's writing to these people. There's, there's a bunch of people in Rome that are caught up with the law and caught up with this thing and confused about all kinds of things. But Paul says, but here's, here's the point. You're not in the flesh. Because that's not the way God created you. This is not what God has purposed for your life. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? And the word dwell in Hebrew or in the Greek means to take up permanent residence. To take up, say it, permanent residence. Dwells permanently is at home in you. Jesus went so far as in John 15 verse 7 say, And if the Spirit who permanently dwells in you, He desires for you to ask so that He can do things for you. Spirit that permanently dwells in us commands us to ask whatever we will and he will do it for us that's that is such a powerful verse on prayer john 15 7 so this spirit that dwells in us he takes up a permanent residency it, this is the dwelling place of the holy spirit he's in us He's not out there. And I know we talk about being filled with the Spirit. And we talk to believers, maybe they've got saved, but they've never been, quote, filled with the Spirit or been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's like, well, the Holy Spirit's, no, no, he's not out there. He's in here. 
The Greek word be filled with means to be consumed with. It's, it's not a glass that you're pouring water into to fill it up. It's a glass that's in a bucket of water. It's filled, yeah, because it's totally consumed with water. The water has consumed the very vessel. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. How many filled with the Spirit? He, he's consumed you. Now what Paul wants us to do is yield ourselves to his consuming presence. He's in us. Listen, this is not based on our actions. You're not in the flesh but in the spirit if the spirit of God. Not if you do all the things that God has said. Not if you follow all of the law. Not if you please God in all these ways. It's not that you are in the spirit if this and if that and if you've done this list of things. 613 commandments. No, you're not in the spirit through the law. You're in the spirit. Why? Because the spirit of God dwells in you. You are in the spirit. And anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. But that's where we'll take up in our next lesson. Amen. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord God, that we have the spirit. The Spirit's alive in us. Teach us to listen. Help us to acknowledge His presence and His guiding. But help us to be submitted to His voice and to follow the things that He leads, that you might be glorified in all that we do. And I thank you, Father God, that it is your spirit who teaches us and leads us in all these things. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.